Hi, I'm Palma Polisel. I'm a solo parent, dog lover, and a member of the widowed community, a club no one wants to join. Following the loss of my spouse, I felt compelled to help others navigate widowhood and find a fulfilling life after loss. I invite you to spend time with me as I am joined by a variety of guests, including widows, widowers, and professional experts. To name a few topics, we will be discussing grief, loneliness, dating, solo parenting, and self-care. We will also discuss finances with topics like dealing with debt, insurance, estates, and building an emergency fund. I believe that resolving financial issues is essential to improving the journey through grief. Together, with both knowledge and empowerment, we will learn how to move forward and navigate this new normal. I'm here with Richard Dree. He is my guest for the day, and he is a financial planner with Scotia McLeod. He will be the expert. Our topic I'll get into in a minute. But before that, I want to talk to you. I've been going through something with my mom. As you well know, you're a friend of mine, as well as the financial expert here for me today. My mother has dementia and she has home care. And I really thought, although we are somewhat okay right now, we have quite a bit of personal support worker help through the government and my family and I are helping her. She does need a bit of help at night. We'd have to pay for that out of our own pockets or out of her savings or whatever the case is. She is widowed and we are committed to having her age in place. What do you think of that? I know you're also going through something with your parents who are elderly. Yeah, my parents are about the same age as your mom. They're actually going to hit 90 early 2024. So they're actually, they're up there. It was interesting that you bring it up today because Fred Battese wrote an article in the Globe and Mail this week. And just for people that don't know him, he's the former chief actuary for Mernal Morneau Chappelle. He's also wrote a number of financial planning books that are highly recommended by me <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people that have read them. Anyhow, he actually looked at the life expectancy of a woman today who is 60 years of age. I know your mom is older and so is my mom. But this is what is interesting. If you were 60 today and you were a non-smoker, say you were five feet, five inches, they're about 120 pounds. I know you're a lot thinner than that. But <laughs> hypothetically, 120 pounds. Do you know what the life expectancy is for that female? I'm hoping you're going to say like 120. No, no, no. Close. 92. 92. I'll take that. Okay. That is the baseline for a woman of that age and of that health. Oh, by the way, there was another very interesting component of that article. It actually said your lifestyle has almost no impact no on your life way. expectancy. Yeah. So he looked at women of 60 age, obesity, heavy drinker, high stress, and poor diet. Anyhow, if you're obese, if you're a heavy drinker and have a lot of stress, you really only lose one year. Your Come life on. expectancy goes down to 91. But how do you live in those later years? Are you healthy uh, or are you, you are having not, a lot of health issues? Not. The chronic illnesses are going to be through the roof. If you're a heavy drinker, high stress, poor diet, obesity. He doesn't go into that. But I would imagine that the last few years are going to be tough That's from the really point important. of view of chronic diseases. But yeah. the reason no, I bring we're, that... We're not trying to... <laughs> wait, we're not trying to encourage people to be... <laughs> no, no. Because it's not going to be fun. Smoking, drinking. <laughs> no, it's a non-smoker. 
But he does say oh, it's a non-smoker, sorry. It only, it only takes about four or five years off your life if you're what? this hypothetical individual. I know I should wow. call Fred up and ask him to double check his numbers. But we need those, more details. We need more details on yeah, that. Well, Richard. it was in the Globe and Mail. Anyhow, sort of you look at your mom and you go, okay, she's almost well, she's in her late eighties. If My you look at us, it, you look at us today and you say, okay, we're in our early sixties. It's very, very possible that either one of us or both of us will make it to the age of 90 and beyond. What's interesting, if you go to Hallmark, you go to the card section of any store. Do you know now that they have birthdays up to a hundred? Like sure, happy birthday, mom, on your hundredth birthday. I've never seen them before. You are right. I never noticed them before, but I hear more and more often. Yeah, yeah. People and most living are, to 100 and beyond. And beyond, yeah. 105, 108. The last few years are going to be difficult from the point of view of home care. And as you said, most seniors that I've talked to and, you know, and me as well, if possible, I want to age in place. I'd like to age at home. The alternative, mm -hmm. of course, is to age in a long-term care facility. It's not as nice for you or I. And it's also very expensive from the point of view of the province. Sure, especially for a widow who may want to age in place. It's a whole different ballgame. You may not have someone to help you. So you need that financial support. A lot of people are coming to us now and they're saying, well, if I need extensive care in retirement, would I be able to afford it? And that's a question that I really never have had to deal with before. Because people were not living to the ages of 90 and 95, even 100. They were unfortunately dying sooner. So the time span was shorter, and therefore you didn't need as much money to save. Okay, let's take a look at your mom. For example, the Canadian Medical Association says that a senior, or anybody for that matter, needs about 22 hours of home care per week in order to keep them out of a long-term care home. That's 22 hours. now. As you know, because your mom is receiving some government-supported care, but let's say you only got a few hours from the government and the rest you had to pay on your own. Well, 22 hours at today's current rate for a PSW, that works out to between three to $4,000 of additional expenses per month. That's not even including home expenses, bills, taxes. No, no this is like completely new to you. you now, you still got to pay everything you just said. And then all of a sudden, there's a bill for PSWs and maybe equipment that you might need that could be in the three to 4000 a month range. It's hard. A lot of people are in long-term care facilities because they just don't have the money to pay for a the, the help that option. they need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The earlier you can plan for this, and I know what young people are thinking today, if they're listening, why do I have to worry about it? I'm not 80 or I'm not 70. Well... I think you could figure out the answer on your own. You can't plan for this when you're 70. You have to plan. Not enough time. It's too late. The earlier, the better. But we are living longer. The last few years are filled with chronic illnesses. And if we want to age in place, we may have to think about how to pay for that. Mm, steps over we and may above, have to take. Over right. and above all your other objectives and needs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Thank you. Today's topic, as I mentioned, is about building a support network, emotional and financial support for widows. It's a series of four. Today's the first one. We're going to talk about what government support we have as widows and widowers. 
This varies by province, but we'll talk about federal support, correct? So it's available to all Canadians? Yeah, I think we should start there, Palma, because provincially we'd have to talk like 10 different provinces and right. you know, the territories. So let's just look at what is common to every Canadian. What do you think is the most common? What comes to mind is the Canadian Pension Plan, CPP. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. everybody's heard of that. We have, we're entitled to Canada Pension if you pay into it. But some people don't know is if you do become widowed, you are possibly eligible for a survivor CPP. And that is paid to anybody who is legally married or in a legal common law relationship. And they have a definition for both. By the way, you can remarry and your survivor CPP will continue. But you can only have one survivor CPP. So you can't marry five different men, Paloma, and have five different survivor <laughs> benefits. I won't do that then. Okay. No, <laughs> Forget <anyhow>. that idea. <laughs> exactly. So, How do we determine what we get? That's a good question. It's a little complicated and it depends on how much your late spouse put into the plan <laughs> and how old you are. You need to be an actuary. We need Fred they, here. They make it so complicated. <laughs> a government, enough said. It's not easy. If you're under 65, it is actually kind of easy. It's a flat rate plus 37.5% of your late spouse contribution to the CPP plan. Okay. Like who can figure that out? But I can tell you what the numbers turn into. Please do. That's easier to understand. Yeah. So from January to <laughs> December of 2023, the maximum pension you can receive, survivor pension you can receive, if you're under the age of 65, is $708. Okay. That's the maximum. That's actually what I get. Good. If you're over 65, the maximum is $784. Now, I have to put a very strong caution here. That is the maximum, assuming you're not eligible for any other CPP benefits. And there are other CPP benefits that you might be eligible for. One, which is very common, you might be eligible for your own CPP payment. You know, let's so you say can't you can't get both. You can get both, but to the maximum. What the maximum is today in July of 2023 is $1,307 per month. That's to the be max, exact. To be exact. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes up by the rate of inflation. That's why the numbers are so crazy. If you were eligible for $1,307, say, because you worked your butt off and made a good living, and let's say your deceased spouse was also eligible for the maximum, you can't just add them together and say, okay, I will get $1,307 times two. No, the maximum you receive, regardless of what the survivor pension is, is $1,313. That's the maximum combined. Well, that's just not fair. No, it's not fair. It works like an insurance policy. The longer you live, the more you benefit from it. But the people that unfortunately die younger, they benefit from it less or none at all. Right. So you could potentially lose half of your CPP. For example, in my case, when I was doing my retirement projection with Mary, I included two CPPs, one for her and one for me. For me, it was 100%. For her, I was thinking, you know, you know she didn't work full time. She took time off to manage the house and the children. I figured maybe she'd get 60 or 70%. And that's what I budgeted. That 60 or 70% for me now is not available. 
it's a pretty big drop in income. Certainly is. And something you have to factor in. Another yeah. reason to really think about this. And I actually didn't know that. Yeah. What I'm getting is about $500 a month because Mary's contribution to CPP was lower than Dave. It was lower so than I'm Dave's getting about $500. He worked full time. Right. And that's to the age of 65. Then I'll lose that. It'll then go mm. to the other amount, which could be a lot less. Do you have any good news anywhere here? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> well, depressing. Do you want to hear about death benefits? Oh, sure. That's a little more that's exciting. A little bit more, uh, uplifting? Uh, I don't uplifting. know. Go ahead. Well, the CPP death benefit, they could come up with a better title for it. That is $2,500 if you get the max, and most people do. The qualifications are a lot easier to get that. And it was initially intended to pay for funerals. But mm. obviously... I did receive that. But at that time, I mean, it went a lot further than now. That doesn't do much now. I think even a basic funeral is a lot more than $2,500 today. Absolutely. The other thing that I had, that my children had, I should say, is a CPP benefit. It was a children's benefit and they received that really up until they were in university. Yeah, that is exactly what it's called. A CPP children's benefit payable to any child under the age of 25. Before the age of 18, you get it automatically. But anybody over the age of 18, so between 18 and 25, you have to be a full-time student. If you're a full-time student, then it'll continue until you turn 25. It's a flat rate. So this is easy to understand. And the amount currently is $281.72. They don't round up. Christine gets that amount. She's a full-time student and she's under the age of 25. One or the other will happen. She will either finish school or she'll turn 25, at which point she would no longer be eligible. It'll stop. Just like it did with your, your girls. Right. But every little bit helps when you're a student. So I'm happy with that one. Yeah. And emotionally, it makes them feel good, I think. Yeah. I think you and I talked about this before. I believe it was Lauren that thought that this was so special because she felt it was from her dad. Yeah, it is. The amount that Dave put in, they uh, allocate some of it to you and some of it to the girl, Hmm. his daughters. Speaking of Dave, there is something now that is offered that wasn't when he was ill, and that is Employment Insurance Compassionate Care Plan. I'm not sure if that's exactly what it's called, but I wish I'd had that. And it would have allowed me to stay home with him in those last few weeks of his life or last month or so of his life and be paid, right? Can you tell us about this? Sure. That is a good one. It's EI Compassionate Care Benefits, and they pay up to 26 weeks if you qualify. It's not hard to qualify. You have to be away from work to take care or support a critically ill person or someone who's been injured, or someone who needs end-of-life care. So it's up to 26 weeks. The maximum you can receive is $650 a month, or 55% of your earnings. Sorry, Um, did you say a month? Sorry, $650 a week. I should have said a week. Okay, okay. That's a little better, because as you said a month, I thought, oh, that, that would be hard to live on. It would be. And bear in mind, it's only 26 weeks, but it does give you the opportunity, as you said, to stay home and take care of someone who's very sick. That's a very good one. If you need to access, that's important. And one other thing, you know how I love taxes, you know, (laughs) I just love them so much. Are there any tax credits for widows and widowers? Anything to lower the tax burden? There are. They're not as common 
There are a lot of tax credits and deductions that you could qualify for. I don't really want to go into it because they depend on your age, depend on your income, depend on your disability. Complicated then. Okay. Yeah, but I would urge you to talk to your accountant or someone who can prepare tax returns properly and they'll find those particular tax credits that you might be eligible for. Yeah, but normally they're non-refundable tax credits, so you will not get a refund. They will reduce your tax payable, but you won't get cash back. Okay, I understand. One thing particularly in Toronto that is very expensive is housing. Does the government offer any housing assistance for widows and widowers? I'm not aware of anything that is offered by the federal government. I think the provincial government does have, and the municipal governments, I think they both have housing assistance plans where you could get some of your cost of your rent covered for. And I do know in in Toronto, we have government-assisted housing. So mm-hmm. there are programs to help anybody, but in our so case, not widows specifically not or widowers, widowers okay. but yes, there are, you know, and, and it can happen if your husband or your wife was the only breadwinner, well, and you can't go to work right away because maybe you have your really own young children or young or, children, or, or, you're, you may, or, or you're going through trauma through right, the, the death. Right. Yes. It may occur. Definitely. We've talked about the financial support for widows and widowers. Well, but Paula, there's one more. We forgot it. Oh, wait, did I miss one? Sorry. You did. did. Go ahead. The old. so Canadian, always apologizing. (laughs) The old age (laughs) security. Well, this isn't very politically correct either. OAS, you've heard of that. You can qualify as young as 65 or you can defer to the age of 71. The maximum today is $698.60. There's a clawback if you make more than 135000 but let's leave that aside. Here's the drawback. You're only entitled to one OAS, not two. You can't double up. You basically lose oh. whatever your husband... So I lose his... You lose Dave's OAS contributions. Well, we're not and I was just going to it, say, is, it, is that considered are, a contribution? No. It just comes out of regular taxes that are paid. By mm-hmm. you and I, and Dave did pay taxes, and that's how he would would have qualified for OAS. But let's say again, in my case, I had full OAS pensions in my retirement plan, so roughly mm-hmm. seven hundred for Mary, seven hundred for me. I'm not getting that seven hundred from Mary. I'll only get one. That's so not fair. No, it's not fair. So in my case, I've lost Mary's CPP pension benefit, and I've lost her old age security benefits. That's a quite a bit of money. It would have been probably hmm. over $1,000 a month. You have to readjust your finances or your totally. plan for sure. Totally. Yeah. Have you heard of the OAS allowance for survivors? I haven't actually. <laughs> what is that? I'm not that keen on it either. I didn't know very much about it until I looked it up, but it is another program that is available by our federal government, payable to widows or people that have widows or widowers, and it's both married and common law spouses. You have to be between the ages of 60 and 64. You have to live in Canada and you have to be unmarried or uncoupled. Single. <laughs> single. <laughs> in yes. other words, Richard, single. <laughs> right, exactly. But the kicker here is that your income, the maximum income that you can earn, annual income is 28512 If you earn over and above that, you don't get it. If you earn oh. less than that, you get actually $1,581.51 per month. That's quite a bit, actually. Yeah. That's quite a help for someone that may be in that low income bracket. Yeah. A lot of widows and widowers are unable to get back to work immediately. And 
you know, the two weeks or three weeks. Well, what am I talking about? You don't normally get two weeks or three weeks of bereavement. No. Usually it's about five days. Yeah, you're so lucky you, if you if get two lucky. or three weeks. Yeah, well, the only way you would get it, I think, is if you tacked on vacation. So if you were entitled to three or four or five weeks, you put that onto your bereavement, you might get a month. And then you lose all your vacation. Then that is your vacation, right? It's really important because if you do need to take time off, you may have to take it without pay. Mm -hmm. Just a leave of absence. So Mm -hmm. you do have that unemployment coverage. That's only for 26 weeks. I know Married was sick for... A long time. A long time, but very sick. Actually. It's about right. It's about a half a year. She was sick, very sick for about a half a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you know about this then or would you have accessed it? Well, the OAS allowance, I would not have accessed. I wouldn't have qualified for that. The EI compassionate care benefit, I might have. Although mm-hmm. I'd have to look into it. My company does have short-term and long-term disability. I don't know if I would qualify for that. I'd have to take a look at it. Right, but if I didn't right. qualify because I wouldn't necessarily be disabled, but I'm not sure if they have a clause for taking care of people that are sick. Right. They if definitely I didn't qualify, should. If I didn't qualify for that, yeah, I would definitely look into that EI, EI compassionate care benefit. Yes, definitely. As I mentioned, I wish that that was available to me at that time. I don't believe it was, or I certainly hadn't heard of it. Again, we're going to be talking as well about emotional support for widows and widowers. Some provinces offer emotional support. Ontario happens not to. One province that does, and it's a really good one, it's it's a BC bereavement helpline available only to BC residents. And you can call that number during regular hours, so nine to five, and actually they're open two days from nine to seven. They're open on weekends, Saturdays only. Then they have another line in case you're suffering some sort of crisis after hours related to the death as well. You can call them and it's a 24-hour line and on that line will be somebody experienced in bereavement who can talk you through it. I just thought that was excellent. Would CAMH offer that in Ontario? Do you know? No, they don't. No, I, I actually did look at that. So in Ontario, there are bereavement groups, but to my knowledge, there is no 24 hour line that you can access for emergency help if you're, I don't know, having a panic attack and that can really happen when you're widowed. It happened to me several times. There is nothing like that that I was able to find. Now, if I do come across something like that, we'll definitely talk about it in the next another podcast. Or I'll put it up on my website, which also would be in the show notes. I'll put all that information in the show notes. What I did find for Ontario is, is that they have a guide to programs and services for seniors in Ontario. That's exactly what it's called. There's an online version. There's a website. There's a telephone number in case you need to access it that way. There isn't any type of support on that line, only information. And in this guide, which is like 150 pages long, I didn't even know it existed. It has information, I just wrote a few down here, but active living information, caregiving, finances, health and well-being, housing, safety, security. Now, if you do this online, if you access it online, it has links to all of the forms you need to apply for any of the things you were just talking about. It's actually quite convenient. Again, I didn't know it existed. I'll put all of this information in the show notes. There we go. Now, I always like to end my podcast by asking my guest and myself, actually, 
what they'd like to say about today's podcast, either something they learned or some information they'd like to impart on people. What have you learned or what would you like to say about today's show? I learned basically that there is a lot of help available from the federal government and municipal and and provincial. It is out there. However, it is difficult to maneuver. And I'm glad you mentioned that there is this guide in Ontario that helps organize it all, because that's what I found difficult. When you become widowed, it's very difficult to know where to start. Like, did you even know that there was a survivor pension? I didn't until I looked it up. I didn't either. Did you know that there was a death benefit or the children's benefit? I didn't know any of that. No. The only suggestion I could make is there is help. It's a little difficult to maneuver. Maybe you might get some help from another widow that went through it or maybe some professional help, but don't give up. There is financial support. And you mentioned about the emotional support, maybe not necessarily directly through the government, but through private organizations that are subsidized by the government. So it is there. We just have to find it. Very good. Very good. Now, what I would like to say is don't wait until you're over 40, over 50, over 60, whatever it is you're thinking to plan. Eventually, widowhood happens. It happens at any age. I was widowed at 44. So we would definitely, I would suggest that people think about their future in terms of finances and making sure that you have a plan to live well financially, whether you're widowed, coupled, whatever, but do it early. Don't wait. Yeah. If I may add to that, I often do that with clients. I do a what if scenario. So I say, okay, what if A dies? What does B's life look like financially? And then I turn it around and I say, what if B dies? What does A's financial picture look like? And I don't say that death will occur, you know, 20 or 30 years out. out. I say if death occurred today, how would it impact the other person? And then I turn it around and it's heart wrenching. Unbelievable. You know, you start thinking about, well, I've okay. I have to take care of the kids. I have to pay the mortgage. I have to continue to go to work. And it's not a good exercise. It's not fun by any stretch of the imagination, but it's so useful. It's essential. And I imagine people don't really want to talk about it or think about it even. When you're 40. But you have to. Yeah, 30s. That's the last thing you want to think about. However, as you said, it happened to you. It happened to me at 57. I never expected it to occur. Yeah, I was 44. I I would have never believed that I would be widowed at 44. Never. I know. It happens. Unfortunately, we have to be prepared. Thank you so much for all of the good information as usual. Bye-bye. Bye, Palma. Hey, listeners, for more insight, support, and resources related to widowhood, visit my website at mywidowedlife.com. That's where I expand on topics discussed on the podcast and apply them to the unique circumstances of widows and widowers. I also invite you to join the My Widowed Life Facebook group, a group that welcomes everyone, regardless of when you lost your loved one. This is a safe, non-judgmental space where you can like, comment, and post in an environment where everyone gets it. 
Please see the show notes for contact details and links to the My Widowed Life website and Facebook group. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, take care.